reminder of the love and the grace our Lord has shown us and willing to come and to give his life for us, especially when we look into God's word and we do see who we really are. This morning, join me again in Philippians chapter 3, where we are continuing to study the testimony of the Apostle Paul, whereby he is sharing with us what was going on in his life since he came to know Jesus as his Savior and Lord, or really, as we learned last time we were together, really since Jesus came to him on that road to Damascus and laid hold of him. And what we have seen as we've been going through this chapter in Philippians 3 is that when Jesus lays hold of someone for salvation... It brings about major changes, radical changes in that person's life. That is, salvation sets a person on a new course in life. It sets them in a new direction. Which makes sense because we know from Ephesians chapter 2 that the unbeliever lives their life in the direction of their life according to the course of the world. And what we've seen here as we've come to Philippians 3 is that one of the major changes in life that takes place when a person is saved is their purpose in life. Follow with me, beginning in verse 12 again, where Paul says, Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if in anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by that same standard to which we have attained. Paul here is laying out very clearly for us that his purpose in life since he came to know Jesus was to press on towards the goal of becoming more like Christ. That is, his life was about Christ. Even in his death and dying, it would be about Christ. And when we were together Two weeks ago, what we saw when we looked at verse 12 and when you look at verse 14 is you see the reasons why it is that this should be our purpose in life. First off, it's because it's the purpose for why God saved you. It's why Jesus came and laid hold of you, as Paul says there in verse 12. He says, so that I may, I'm pressing on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Jesus came and seized and saved Paul on that road for this purpose of seeing him become like Christ. But not only was it the purpose, it's also the prize, beloved. When you look again down in verse 14 when he says, I press on towards the goal, and the goal is a prize, that is that God is going to give to every single believer because it's an upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So we know that because of the purpose of the salvation, the prize that we will receive in becoming like Christ in the end, 
should motivate us to want to press on and be looking to become more like Christ. So now today as we come back to these verses, we need to see how it is that Paul is going to tell us how to press on. How do I live this Christian life with this purpose of becoming like Jesus? How do I do this? What are the practical things that I need to do? And Paul here, beginning in verse 12, and really we'll go to the end of the chapter, though we're not going to cover it all today, is going to begin to unfold for us some of the principles, some of the things that are required of us when we are pressing on to become more like Jesus. Let's look at the first one beginning here in verse 12 and in verse 13. And that is this. For us to press on in our purpose to become like Jesus Christ, you need to maintain a continual lack of complacency. You must maintain a continual lack of complacency in your spiritual walk with the Lord. You see, it's going to start with your attitude. And that's what Paul's addressing here in verse 12, where he says, Not that I have already obtained it. Now, obtain what? Well, in some sense, he is talking about the resurrection that he made reference to in verse 11, where he says that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And Paul, again, is letting them know that he has not attained to the resurrection. If you recall, over in 2 Timothy, in chapter 2, in verses 17 and 18 there, Paul writes of two men by the name of Hymenaeus and Philetus who had strayed, gone astray from the truth because they were going around and saying that the resurrection had already taken place. And that wasn't the case. But more specifically here, when Paul says, I have not already obtained it, notice what he says, I haven't already become perfect. I haven't already attained to that place of being sinless, of becoming perfect. This is what Paul is speaking about. That's why it says again in verse 13, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. I mean, he says, look, I, I want to lay hold of that for which I was laid hold of, but I haven't grabbed it yet. I haven't seized it yet. I haven't arrived at it yet. And this is some 30 years after his conversion. He has been pursuing this goal of becoming like Christ for at least 30 years in his walk with Christ since Jesus saved him. He's saying to us, beloved, that we must have a continual lack of complacency in our spiritual walk to always recognize that we have not arrived. We have some folks even here in our church today, you've been walking with the Lord Jesus Christ longer than the Apostle Paul. You've been walking with him for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 80 years since you came to know Jesus as your Savior. And you could testify here today that you haven't arrived. You haven't reached that place. And what Paul is getting across to us and what some could testify here today is you won't arrive in this life. You won't reach that place whereby you will no longer have to struggle with sin so long as you're living here in this life and in your flesh. Paul here is not saying that he has not matured in Christ in those 30 years because he has. 
And as Christians, we should mature. We should be growing in Christ's likeness. Paul has grown spiritually from a spiritual infant to a mature man in the faith, but he has not arrived at the goal that he's been pursuing of being perfectly conformed into the image of Christ. You see, Paul knows he hasn't reached the finish line. And the finish line he knows ultimately will be when we are raised from the dead that he refers to in verse 11 where you have that resurrection from out from the dead. And that will take place, beloved, when the Lord Jesus Christ comes in the rapture for the church. You see, you're going to struggle in this daily struggle either till the, the Lord Jesus Christ comes back for the church or until the day that you die. That's the finish line. So understand, this is a marathon and you're going to keep pressing on. So at no point in our life should we become complacent or content where we are with the Lord. Here recently I was watching the highlights of a, of a, of a, of a race. And I don't remember how long the race was, but they had to make you know, several laps around the track. And this runner was running the race. And she thought that when she came around this corner, she thought that this particular line that was there on the track, she thought that was the finish line. And she ran through, and if she got through the line, she just stopped because she thought she had won the race. But the finish line was on ahead of her. And all the runners just kept going by her. And I looked at it, and actually it says she got a DNF, which means she did not finish the race because she thought she had already reached the finish line. Beloved, don't fall prey to that. You're not going to reach the finish line until you either die or the Lord Jesus Christ comes back for the church. So keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. There's no place for complacency. There's no place for contentment in our walk, in our maturing towards Christ's likeness. Now, throughout church history, and I think even here, Paul and over in 1 John, John the Apostles having to address it himself, that there's been a teaching of perfectionism. There's been a teaching in church history that says that a believer can reach a place in this life whereby he or she morally and spiritually becomes perfect without sin. And they usually say this happens by some second work of grace that just comes upon them suddenly and instantaneously. John Wesley taught a form of this in church history. And Charles Finney taught this as well, believing that if God requires us to live a holy and perfect life, then that means that God has given us all the natural ability to live that perfect, sinless life. And I hope that perks your ears up a little bit to hear that because understand what Finney was doing as he was going outside the scope of orthodoxy there into the heresy of Pelagianism and denying original sin. 
Beloved, no one's going to reach perfection. As I shared with you a couple of weeks ago, there's never really going to come a time where somebody who is a member of our church could ever come and take a microphone and stand up here and say, I'm here to declare everyone here at East Gina Baptist Church and everyone here in this community that I no longer sin. I no longer struggle with sin. I am now perfect. That's not going to happen. Now how... We can struggle in this area with being complacent is by living by maybe a set of rules. Maybe in your mind you can assemble a list of things that you say that you should do and a list of things that you say that you shouldn't do. And as long as you can continue to check off that list, then you're content. Beloved, God's asking for way more than that. He's asking for our heart. It should really be just the opposite. That is, the more we become like Christ, the more aware of sin we will be about what's going on in our life. For us to press on as Paul is is calling on us to do here, We must have and maintain a lack of complacency when it comes to our walk with the Lord and our dealing and addressing the sin in our life. What I'm saying to you is finish the course. Finish the race. And you now know where the finish line is and you're not going to reach it until the Lord Jesus comes for us. So this is what Paul is wanting us to see. If you're going to press on, you must have that attitude that says, I will finish the course. But secondly, in pressing on in this maturing in Christ, you must also maintain a continual level of concentration in your walk with the Lord. Not just finish the course, but focus Focus on the finish line. You have to keep your focus on the finish line itself. This is what Paul is getting across here where he's saying, I am continually pressing on. This is the one thing that I do in my life. You have to stay focused. You have have to have that singular focus about this. And thankfully here, when you look back at verse 13 with me now, Paul answers the question of how it is we can have this focus on the finish line. Notice again in verse 13, he says, This one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. See, the way that you will have this continual level of concentration whereby you are focusing on the finish line is, first of all, you have to be learning from your past but not living in the past. You learn from your past but don't live in the past. We need to learn from our past failures, our past mistakes, our past sins. We need to learn from the things that we have done well in the past in our Christian life, but don't live off of them. This is what Paul is driving home here. And let's just think about learning from your past but not living off of your past. And let's look at it from two ways. Let's first look at it from your past sins. When he says here, 
Forgetting what lies behind, a part of that is your past sins. Now, if you have sins in the past that you need to confess and repent of, then you need to do that. But if you have confessed your sins and you've repented of those sins, beloved, you have been forgiven of your sins. God has forgiven you. First John clearly teaches us if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to cleanse us of all of our unrighteousness. No matter what it was, God forgives you through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not saying there can't be consequences that can stay with us because of our sins, but what I am saying here, when Paul says, forgetting what lies behind, he's saying this, don't keep carrying the guilt around with you about your past sins. If you've confessed and repented of them, don't keep beating yourself up about those things. And Paul could testify to that. I mean, here is Paul, a man, when you hear his testimony, if you were to go over and look into 1 Timothy, when he speaks about his life, his life before Christ, he says, I was a blasphemer. I was a violent aggressor. I was a persecutor of the church. But yet God showed me mercy. And by His grace and His abundant grace, He not only saved me, but He counted me faithful and He put me into service. I think about Peter, the Apostle Peter. This is a man that publicly denied the Lord Jesus Christ three times. And he was devastated by that. Yet we see when we come to the end of the Gospel of John that there is Jesus. Remember when he's asking Peter those three questions, do you love me, do you love me, do you love me, Peter? And he says, go shepherd my sheep, go shepherd my sheep, go shepherd and tend to my sheep. He was reaffirming, remember Peter there to the ministry saying, Peter, you have been forgiven. I am reinstating you. Understand this. Go out and serve and do what it is I've called on you to do. Here it is, the two key men in the expansion and development of the church in the book of Acts had a past that could have held them back, but they weren't, they were forgetting their past and their past failures. And they were moving forward in what the Lord had called them to do. Beloved, that's what he means there, forgetting what lies behind, forgetting your past sins. You learn from them, but don't live by them. But it's not just our past sins that can hinder us in our walk with the Lord. Also, beloved, our past successes can hinder us as well. That is, when you try to live off of the glory days of your life and your walk with Christ, instead of living in the present. We can do that personally, we can do that corporately, even as a church whereby we're just continually looking back. And that can be discouraging. 
It can be discouraging sometimes to keep looking back at our life and to remember a time when we were maybe more faithful, a time when we were more into God's Word, and maybe a time when we were praying more. And, and, and that can be discouraging to us. You can learn from those things, but don't keep trying to live off of past success. You have to be successful now. You have to be pressing on now. Learn from them Carry the examples with you, but don't live off of it. I'm reminded of the children of Israel. One of the problems they suffered with is they kept looking back. Remember when God had delivered them and as they're walking with the Lord and they would look back and that's a good reminder, beloved, that often when we look back and we even look back at our past successes and we look back at when life seemed to have been better for us in our walk with the Lord, we tend to look back at it in a way that's not quite accurate. Because remember, they kept, when they would come to Moses and they say, Moses, do you remember how good we had it? The food we had? They were slaves. And remember, when was it God delivered them? They were crying out to Him. Come deliver us, Lord. And the Lord delivers them out. And on the journey, they keep looking back. God was saying, move forward. I have the promised land in front of you. And they keep looking back. Another example of this, maybe in our day and time, would be when you think about a sports team that a sports team that may have been successful last year can't keep looking back. They have to look forward, live in the present. I like what one commentator said about it, thinking about the Apostle Paul and where he was in his life at this time. He says, Paul did not keep turning over in his mind the good old days of active service before he was imprisoned. He did not constantly remind himself of all his achievements nor continually recount those special high points of his intimate relationship with Christ. He is not distracted by the trophies of the past. Forgetting, and listen carefully to this, is not a passive loss of memory. No, it is an active, continuous discipline of the mind and heart. Although he did not actually forget the past, he emphatically chose to disregard it. You see, that's what God calls on us to do. Learn from it, but don't live by it. Keep focusing on the finish line. Keep focusing on the goal, focusing on the prize. Just think about just running an actual race. If we all went outside and we lined up to start running a race out there on our soccer field, and as everybody was running, you were looking behind you while you were trying to run, just think how off course you would get and how much that slows you down. The same thing is what he's speaking about here. Keep looking forward to what it is that you're shooting for. Now let me just share this with you in regards to your past. There are two universal truths about the past for everybody here. Number one, everyone has a past. Everyone here has a past. And number two, change doesn't 
take place in the past for anyone here. It doesn't take place in the past. Change takes place right here in the present as you're focusing on the future. You're focusing on the finish line. So keep that focus. Keep that level of concentration whereby you keep looking to Christ. You keep looking to the finish line. In fact, when we get over to the end of the chapter, we see that we don't just look to the past, but we're looking to the future, he says. Keep reaching forward. Go back to verse 13. Keep reaching forward to what lies ahead. That idea of reaching forward is, is, is the picture of an athlete that is stretching and maximizing to the limit his muscles to reach to the finish line. That's why he's going to tell us when we get to the end of the chapter, he's going to remind us in verse 20 that our citizenship is in heaven and that we have a Savior and we're eagerly waiting for that Savior to return. We're looking ahead. Beloved, this is what God's Word calls on us to do. When you sin, confess it, repent, get back up, and get moving again. Don't let it hold you down. Just keep moving forward. As Peter did, as Paul did, so we can do as well. Now let's go back and let's look at one other thing we must do. And that is we need to have a consistent life of conformity. We must maintain a consistent life of conformity to the Word of God and our walk with the Lord. Notice what Paul says there beginning in verse 15. In verse 15, he addresses your attitude. And in verse 16, he then addresses your actions. That you need to have your attitude and your actions just conforming to what you know already. Just conforming to the truth. He says there in verse 15, Let us therefore as many as are perfect. Now, he can be saying that there in two ways. One of the ways could be somewhat of a sarcastic way of saying for any of you who may be sitting here in the church at Philippi who think that you're perfect, you need to change your attitude. Or he could be speaking of it this way because that word there for perfect can also be translated as mature. Let us therefore, as many as are mature, those who are actually mature in the faith, have this attitude. What attitude? An attitude that says, I have not arrived and I will not arrive, but I keep pressing on. That's the attitude that we must have. But notice he says, if, if any, in anything you have a different attitude, if you have a different attitude than what Paul is sharing here, Paul knows ultimately he needs God to bring about that change in that person's life. He says, God will reveal that also to you. If some don't want to accept what Paul is teaching here, Paul is saying God will get your attention. He will get your attention through His Word. He will get your attention through His chastening. 
God will bring about the change that is necessary. You see, beloved, that, this, this comforts me. I'll just share with you on a personal note, even as a pastor. Because here what Paul is saying is, he's saying, look, if you have a different understanding about these things than what I'm sharing with you, Paul says, Paul ultimately knows that's in God's hands. I can't do anything further. All Paul could do is, I'm here to share the truth with you. I'm here to explain the truth to you. I'm here to tell you what God says about this. But as far as whether or not your attitude is going to change, that's now between them and the Lord. And he understood that God was at work in them, as we've seen in Philippians 1 and Philippians 2. And God's going to continue to work. And God would need to be the one that would reveal that attitude change that needed to take place. So it must change our attitude. But notice in verse 16, there needs to be a change in our actions. And this is that consistent life of conformity, of conforming. That is falling in line, following what you know. He says, however, let us keep living. That is, let us keep falling in line by that same standard to which we have attained. What's he saying there? He's saying don't go backwards, but keep moving forwards. That is, keep doing what you've been doing that is right. Don't change lanes. Don't change courses. Keep living by the truth you already know. Live by that standard to which we have attained. Keep conforming your life. This is what God calls on us to do. This is what Paul means when he says pressing on towards Christ's likeness. So beloved, this morning, I, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to finish the race. And I would encourage you to focus on the finish line. And I want to encourage you to to, to follow up, follow through with what you already know and keep striving to learn and know more. Remember, if you're going to finish the race, you can't become complacent and say, well, I already know enough. No, you keep moving forward in your walk with the Lord. You keep moving forward and you're becoming more like Christ, understanding ultimately it is God who's going to have to bring about that change in your attitude, that change in your actions, but you have to apply yourself. You have to walk in obedience to the Lord. By God's grace, just keep striving to live by the truth that you know. Will you do that perfectly? No. But will that be the direction of your life? Yes. When you get off course and others speak into your life about that, repent. And just get back on course. So let me ask you to do this first. Examine your own heart. Before the Lord, examine your own heart. And as we've been walking through this chapter together, remember what we're talking about. We're talking about 
true conversion. We're talking about true Christianity. We've been defining true Christianity. Because as Paul says here, there was a threat against the church at Philippi. There was a threat against this and all the churches where Paul had established by God's grace. And Paul wanted them to understand what it was to be a true Christian, to be truly converted, to experience the true circumcision of being born again. And you need to examine your own heart before the Lord and to see, is this the testimony of your life? Again, not perfection, but is this the direction of your life? Is Jesus the priority of your life? Is Jesus the pursuit of your life? Is Jesus the purpose for your life? Is Jesus the passion of your life? If you listen and think through those things and you know that's just really not true of you, that there's no desire there, these things really don't resonate in your heart. Oh, beloved, let Paul, let the Word of God bring conviction there. Let it now reveal to you, reveal to you that you are outside, that you have not yet been found in Christ. Thus, you need to repent and you need to come seeking after the Lord to save you, to forgive you, to change you. You need Jesus to lay hold of you. But if it is true of you, first and foremost, I would pray your response would be to give praise to God. Secondly, that you would ask Him to strengthen your resolve in these areas because, as I've said, no one in any of these areas is perfect. Your passion for Jesus is not perfect. Your priority for Jesus is not perfect. Your pursuit of Jesus is not perfect. Your purpose for Jesus in life is not perfect. So you need to ask God to strengthen your resolve in which of those areas that you may be struggling with the most. Ask Him to reveal that to you and to give you the desire to truly repent of it and truly begin to grow in that area. But not only that, I want to encourage you also to do this. If you know through what we've shared here, I am a part of true Christianity. This is the testimony of my heart. This is the testimony of my life. I also want to encourage you to do this. I want to encourage you to go exhort others by these truths. Help them. If need be, call them to repentance. I have no doubt that most of us, if not all of us sitting in here, that know Jesus is our Savior and Lord, as you're listening to this and as we walk by through this, back through this week after week after week, that there's somebody on your heart. You know there's somebody, there's someone that 
If you ask them, are they a Christian? They would say, yes, I'm a Christian. But then you begin to ask them to get down to the, the nuts and bolts of this about the priority and the pursuit and the purpose and the passion for Jesus and you would realize there's really nothing there. Or maybe there, there really is a little something there but they need a lot of help and they need some encouragement and they need someone to call them to repentance about this. Beloved, you now have a tool to use to go and to talk to them and just walk them back through verse by verse, passage by passage here in Philippians 3 and say, please understand this is the testimony of a Christian. This is the testimony of a true believer. This is not the super spiritual. This is just the spiritual compared to the natural. The natural is the unbeliever. The spiritual is the true believer. And you can help them with this. So examine your own heart. If you need to come to Christ, I plead with you, do that here this day. If you know that you know Christ, ask God to give you the resolve, but also go and help others as well. Take the truth you know and share it with others. Just share it with others and see what God will do. And remember what Paul says, if they have a different attitude as you share it with them, you know God is the one who needs to reveal that to them. And pray and ask God to do that. I want to ask you to bow your heads for a moment in prayer.